As always, it's a privilege to be here with you this morning as we gather together to, to sing, to sing praises to the Lord, to fellowship, to, to explore God's word together. We're in the series, David, a man after God's own heart. And this morning, we're going to look at David, a man on the run. But before we jump right in, I want to make sure we're all up on the same, all on the same page here. Uh, David has defeated Goliath. Of course, a, a monumental moment in not just David's life, but the life of the Israelites themselves. And, and Saul uh, joins everyone else in, in celebrating what David has done. But what we begin to understand is that although all of Israel is beginning to understand this, this man, David, this, this warrior, uh, and, and celebrating who he is, that Saul is jealous. That outwardly he may be expressing this, this gratitude to David, but deep inside is this, is this festering of this wound of jealousy toward David. And, and we have been already told earlier in the account that Saul has really had the, this amazing uh, challenge, and that is this, that God has removed his spirit from him. And so although he's still serving as king, he, he doesn't have the hand of God on his life. He's sort of doing things his own way. And this is leading Saul in this spiral uh, of jealousy and hatred toward David. And then we have David, this man who's been anointed as the next king. He knows that, but he's serving the now existing king. At this point, he's, he's not sure uh, what Saul's intentions are with him, but he's serving in his household. He's, he's giving opportunities to, to rise up the ranks in his army. And, and here's David. And David is just a person like you and I, right? All of us, like David, are not perfect. And God knows it's true that every day a war rages in our souls, a power struggle that pits our will against God's plan, a power struggle that's part of the human condition. And one of the workings, one of the profound and beautiful workings of God's spirit within each of us as believers is that when we wrestle with these fears and doubts, we wrestle with fears and doubts that we learn to trust in the Lord, to trust in his leading, to know that he's faithful. And so I just want to let you know from the beginning, a couple of these accounts that we're going to look at are two of my favorite accounts in the whole of Scripture. Not necessarily in parts because of their spiritual depth, but because I'm just a warped human being. And so when we get there, I think you'll, you'll see it. But we're going to begin in 1 Samuel 18, 20 through 27. And here's one of them. Now Saul's daughter Michael loved David, and he told Saul, this, and this thing pleased him. Saul thought, let me give her to him that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servants, speak to David in private and say, behold, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Now then become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spoke those words in the ears of David, and David said, does it seem to you a little thing to become the son-in-law of the king, since I'm a poor man and have no reputation? And his servants told Saul uh, what he had said, and, and thus, and so did David speak. Then Saul said, thus shall you say to David, the king desires no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. Okay, I know you're in church. Did you catch that? Don't make me go into detail, okay? Except for a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. 
Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law before the time had, had expired. David rose and went along with his men and killed 200 of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that they might become the, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter Michael for a wife. Now, come on. So, so David is given his opportunity to become the king's son-in-law. And David, first of all, understands this is a great honor and says that you're acting like it's a small thing. But he points out the fact that certainly if you're going to pay a dowry is what you would pay back then money. I don't have any money. There's no way I can in any way give to the king what's expected of me in order to be his son-in-law. And so Saul, who, by the way, when you first read it, says Saul's daughter, Michael, loved David. And, and they told Saul, and this thing pleased him. And so at first reading, you're thinking, oh, well, Saul's sort of excited that his daughter loves David until you realize, he says, I can use her to be a snare so David can be killed. So this is how evil Saul is. He's, he, it's not even beneath him to use his own daughter to get back at David. And so he comes up with an impossible task. He doesn't need to give me any money. He just needs to get a couple hundred foreskins from some uh, Philistines, who, by the way, are not going to give them up willingly. Right, David's their enemy, first of all. But even if, you, like, if my best friend said, hey, Craig, can you? No, I can't. No, no, you're on your own. And so he knows he's going to have to kill them. And he thinks this is an impossible task. He's forgetting, first of all, that David killed a giant. He's forgetting that David has killed many Philistines. And, and so what does David do? David says, this is great. I don't have to pay any money. All I have to do is kill a, few hundred Philist a couple hundred Philistines. I've done that before. Uh, he gets some of his buddies together. They go kill the Philistines. They collect the little treasure, we'll call it. And, and I would love to see how this happened. He presents it to the king. Can you imagine? We're like in baskets. What are we talking here? And he says, king, here they are. And, he ha and all of a sudden, he becomes the son-in-law of the king. Now, I don't know about any of you guys out there who are married, but I'm just thankful all I had to do was ask Krista, my wife, to marry me. And I did ask her father permission as well, just out of respect. But I didn't have to do any of that stuff. But this is where David finds himself. See, after David killed Goliath, Saul got increasingly jealous of David. Saul began sending David on dangerous missions to get him killed, and Saul offered even his daughter Michael to, to David in marriage, but not because he was expecting them to get married, but because he thought I can set this sort of this unusual dowry price that certainly is going to cost David his life, but to his surprise, it did not. In fact, listen to David's success, 1 Samuel 18.30. Then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle, and so often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was highly esteemed. So the more missions that Saul sent him out on, the more victories he had, the more victory he had, the more prominent his name was in Israel. In fact, the people at one time will proclaim Saul's killed his thousands, but David's killed his tens of thousands. And you can imagine if you're a madman like Saul, he didn't like that at all. So it must have seemed to David that he was on the fast track to becoming king, but he could never have seen the road hazard that was right in front of him, right around the corner. 1 Samuel 19, 8 through 10. And there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow, so that they fled before him. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul, and he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. Now, by the way, if you're around a madman, the last thing you want him to have is a spear. 
And David was playing the lyre, and Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he eluded Saul, so that he struck the spear into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. So Saul seeks to kill David. The Lord is with David. David is able to flee. But what this does is set into motion seven years of exile for David. Seven years for David to, to be a fugitive. This man after God's own heart, this individual who has been anointed as the next king is now in this situation that for seven years he's going to be away from his family. The scripture tells us that he hid in places where he only had rocks for pillows. Uh, The only friends that come and gather around him are fellow rejects. Individuals have been kicked out of the army or because of Saul's craziness have sort of of made them fugitives as well. And so he has this ragtime group of people around him. And this is who David's going to do life with for seven years. A couple of questions for us to consider. How would you feel? How would you feel if you were David on the run? What do you think you might do? What what do you think you might do if you had a chance to repay Saul? Well, let's find out. My second, one of my favorite passages. 1 Samuel 24, 1 through 7. And when Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheep's fold, by the way, where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Come on now. So Saul has to go to the bathroom, they find this cave, and they say, hey, why don't you go into that cave, and Saul's going to go into that cave to relieve himself. And the men of David, verse 4, oh, wait a minute, no, I have to jump back up. And now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of that cave. Now, think about it for a minute. Saul has to go to the bathroom. Did you miss that with relieved himself? Was that too gentle for you? And they say, there's a cave here. Why don't you go in and use the cave? So Saul goes in and uses the cave. And guess who's in the back of the cave? David and his men. What would you do? Here's the man who made you a fugitive. You're a warrior, by the way. David's a warrior. He killed a giant. He's killed many Philistines. He's taken a treasure from 200 of them. So to speak. And here's Saul, relieving himself. Verse 4. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord has said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put on my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to strike Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. This is remarkable. I mean, you can see the end of all of David's troubles. All he has to do is kill Saul, and Saul's in a very vulnerable situation. The men say, look, God's obviously put him... In your hands. Go do to him as you will. And he goes up and he cuts this corner of his robe. And then he feels guilty about it. 
He says, wait a minute, now this is God's king. It's not that he respects Saul for who he is, he respects Saul because of the position he holds. He says, who am I to cut off a corner of his robe? And somehow he convinces his men that there's no way they should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed, this guy who has caused so much trouble for them. See, David respects Saul's position as God's anointed king. Even though David himself was anointed as the next king, it's it's an amazing situation. And yet David sits back and and says, no, no, I need to trust the Lord in this, that there's a higher priority here, and that's God's priority. Now, I want you to think about it for a minute. Have you ever been in a challenging situation where you just want to try to work it out yourself? Or where maybe God's taking too long, and you think, well, maybe the Lord just wants me to take this into my own hands? I have. And, And it doesn't really work well, does it? And so David's not forgetting all the principles he's been taught. He's not forgetting who the Lord is, not forgetting what it means to be the Lord's anointing. None of that is is foreign from David. In fact, listen to what David yells at at Saul, 1 Samuel 24, 12, in in a situation. He says, may the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. David believes that Saul should be punished for his wrongdoing, but he's willing to let the Lord avenge him. Now, I've said this many times. It's a lesson I've had to learn way too over and over again. And, and, and that's this, that I can either avenge myself or I can trust the Lord to do it. That I can either say, God, I've got this one. Ever been there? I'll take care of it. It never works out right. Or I can say, I'm going to trust that God's going to take care of it. I've often said that if I want to take things into my own hand, then it's just me against you. But when I I put things in God's hands, it's you against me and my daddy. I like those odds a whole lot better. How about you? And David, even in the midst of this challenging situation, understands that things are better in God's hands, God's way, than him stepping outside those boundaries of safety. Things get so bad for David. So bad for him. But he realizes the only place he can find safety is among the Philistines. He's going to go hide among the Philistines. Now, let's camp there for a minute. Because it's so easy to read over this stuff in Scripture. Goliath was a, help me out, Philistine. Yeah, to give you a little hint, all the answers are Philistines for the next few questions. Goliath was a, all right, All the people who he killed to get the little treasures were? All the people who he conquered on the name of Saul and God when he's going out to war and leading Saul's army are? Things are so bad, he's going to find shelter among the? How bad for things for him? Listen to what we read. 1 Samuel 27.1 Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me, nothing better for me than I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David and his ragtag crew go and hide among the Philistines. In fact, they become missionaries, uh, missionaries, mercenaries for the Philistines. They're hired soldiers. And really, the only thing that we can see that, that's quite remarkable, I guess there's many things, but one in particular is that although David is fighting for the Philistines, he never has to raise a hand against Israel. God spares him of that. Well, eventually, Saul and Jonathan die in battle against the Philistines. 
And this is what we read. This is the Chronicles words for us. First Chronicles 10, 13 through 14. So, di- so Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the commands of the Lord and also consulted a median seeking guidance. He did not seek the guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. So the chronicler gives us this theological explanation of Saul's death. He had broke faith with God. He had, he had instead of seeking God's will, had sought his own. In fact, went to a medium uh, 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 to be able to find out what he should do instead of asking the Lord. And what did God do? He turns the kingdom over to David. David was a man on the run who was running from Saul. But the whole time, what we really discover is, as he's running from Saul, he's still running to the Lord. Although he's running from Saul, he's still running to the Lord. And he's saying, Craig, how do you know that? Because we have his Psalms. And I ask you, you know, what would you do if you were in such a challenging situation? What would your prayers be like to God? What are your prayers to God like in a challenging situation? Here's David's, Psalm 54. This is when the Zephites have betrayed David and have told Saul where he's going to be. It's in the midst of this seven-year time of David being a fugitive. And this is a song, this prayer that David writes, Psalm 54. Oh God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. Oh God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies. In your faithfulness, put an end to them. With a freewill offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. Right in the midst of the challenge, when some would be maybe tempted to curse the name of God, he says, God, I trust in you. In fact, your name is good. I may be running from Saul, but I'm running to you. In short, David proclaims that the schemes of ruthless people and circumstances cannot keep the faithful from God or his plans for them. And the overarching lesson we really learn is when facing challenging situations, we must place our trust in the Lord. But if anyone had a, had a reason to say, how can I trust God who would have let his anointed, a man after his own heart, in this situation for seven years? If, if anyone had a right, it would have been David. But David says, no, no, no. We live in a messed up world. Does anyone realize that? Does that shock somebody? And in this messed up world, Good things sometimes seem to happen to bad people, and bad things seem to happen to good people. But one thing is sure, God is on the move. God is working. God is looking over his people. And David understood that. But it's easy to look at such an account and think, why would God do this? Why would he allow this horrific season in Dave's life? But then you realize that, and I would remind you this morning, that God didn't spare his own son to bring about his salvific purposes. 
It says, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever would believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. But God sent his own son that, that God did this to fulfill his specific purposes out of love, offering an everlasting life for those who would trust in Jesus, being a part of his forever family. Think about that. But we live in this fallen world. The reality of it is there is going to be a paradise. Jesus is going to return. This is all going to end. But today we live in a world where, where there's difficulties, where there's challenges. And so the question is, where's the hope? And the hope's where it's always been. It's in our Lord God, whose name is good. David understood that. In fact, there's three indispensable lessons that we see that sort of undergirds this, this one truth. First is this, we discover that God is working even when we don't see it. You ever been in that situation? Maybe you're in one right now. You're like, I don't see how God is working. Maybe you've been walking with the Lord long enough, like myself, that, that you can look back now and say, I can see God's hand there, and I can see it there, and I can see it there. Like at the time, I didn't see it. And, and that's what David says even in his prayer in Psalm 54. He says, you've delivered me Many times out of the hands of my enemies, I'm going to trust you to do it again. I'm going to trust for you to meet me in this situation and give me what I need to walk through it in the way that you have destined for me to do so. God is working even when we don't see it. We discover that God is re responsible for final justice and will deliver in due time. David says, no, Saul, you're supposed to be judged. You need to be judged. I hope you will be judged. But God is the judge. I'm not him. Think about that for a minute. David had to write in his hands the ability to offer judgment. Just kill Saul in that cave. He says, I'm not going to do I'm going to put it in the hands of God. Have you ever looked at, at people in the world and thought, are they ever going to get their, their just reward? Here's the reality. All of us were on the same journey. The scripture is really clear about that. That even God is judged. I hear people say, well, God is judged, and so he sends people to hell. And, and yet the reality of it is, no, 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 we're born heading to hell. The wage of sin is? All right. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But it's not about God sending us somewhere where we're already heading. It's about him rescuing us from a place we don't want to be. Think about that. So there's two groups in the world. Those who will get their just in the end. And those who won't because Jesus already paid the price for us. Come on, church. I know you're hungry, but get, wrap your mind around that. Think about what he's done. Thirdly, we discover that David, nor any of us, can bring about God's plan by our own strength or wisdom. We need to allow God to lead us in partnership with him, keeping a step of his spirit, praying, Lord, your will be done. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in my life, in this situation, in my family, in my marriage, over my kids, in my friendships. Yeah, when facing challenging situations, we need to place our trust in the Lord. God has a remarkable plan for each and every one of us. But this plan is worked out in a fallen world where there's difficulties, where there's challenges. I can remember there was a period in my life, about three months, where as a pastor, I, 
I'd wake up every Sunday because of some, some situations that were going on in my life that, that I'd wake up on Sunday mornings and I thought, Lord, I can't go to church. Now, by the way, that's a problem for any of us. It's especially a problem if you're the one that's supposed to be preaching that morning. For three months, I can remember waking up and I literally would say to the Lord, I can't go. And then I would give him a whole list of reasons why I couldn't go. And I just pictured the Lord was sort of gently listening to me. Then when I would get done with my whining session, laying it all out before him, he graciously, I felt not a physical tap on his shoulder, but it was almost as, as if he did say, Craig, are you done? And I say, yes, Lord. And he said, get up and get a shower. Let's go, let's go to church. And not by my strength, because I'll be honest with you, I was the weakest I've ever been in those three months. And it was very humbling because I don't like being weak. How about any of you? I like the story of David because he's a warrior. <laughs> but I was weak. And he'd give me the strength to get up, get a shower, go to church and preach. I look back at that time, hindsight, right? And more people came to Christ under that preaching ministry in those three months than any other three-month period of me being a pastor over the past 31 years. Why? I don't know, but because God gives strength to those who need it. Because he shows up in the way that's best when we need it. We may not always understand the whys of the challenges and the seasons we go through. Maybe you're wrestling with a disease. Maybe you're wrestling with a relationship issue. Maybe you're wrestling with you fill in the blank. What's the challenge you're facing? Trust in the Lord. Life everlasting and eternity with Christ in paradise is a remarkable reward. However, as we enter into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, we're offered so much in the here and now. In a moment, we're going to take part in communion as a church family. We remember what Christ has done for us. But as we remember what Christ has done for us, let's remember what he's doing for us even today. See, when we, we don't come to Christ perfect, but the scripture tells us there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. We still deal with temptations, but in Christ we've been given power over sin and the ability to be victorious over temptation. Life can be rough and complicated, but we're offered real peace in Jesus Christ today, here, now. Our enemy, culture, our own destructive leanings attempt to rob us of joy, but in Christ we can have abundant life in him. We may feel alone and isolated by others, but believers have a new identity as children of the king, part of his forever family. We might be weak and weary, but the believer is granted strengthening by the power of the Holy Spirit. He offers strength to the weak. We might feel adrift, but our Lord gives wisdom to all who ask and are willing to obey. And finally, if the above list doesn't do it for you, which is by no means comprehensive, the Lord has granted us every spiritual blessing, the scripture tells us. No, 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 I share with you this morning, when facing challenging situations that at all times, we can, should, we must place our trust in the Lord. So this morning, I don't know where you're at. I don't need to. You do. The Spirit of God is speaking to you. And I ask, won't you place your trust in the Lord? If you've yet to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, won't you trust him first for your salvation, then trust him with your life?
walk with him. The God who held nothing back for us to be in relationship with him for, to save us is right now calling all of us to say, choose my path. Choose my peace. Choose my power. Let me change the world through you. Wherever you are, wherever you are, as I pray, won't you do some business with the Lord? Let him take, help you take your next step with him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the power of your word. The scripture given testimony about itself says it's, it's living and active. It is living and active. As, as we, this morning, have been mentored by David, mentored by your spirit through David's story. I'm amazed at how you work. I can only imagine, especially in those seven years of, of being a fugitive, that David and his crew of ragtime friends probably sat around on many occasions and tried to ponder, why this? Why now? Why this way? And yet we find from David's psalm that, that even in those times of questioning, which I'm sure David had, he, he had the ability by your leading to find his way back to you, that he was running from Saul, but he, he didn't stop running to you, trusting you, learning what it means to trust you. Even in his prayer, when he said, you deliver me time and time and time again, you're gonna deliver me in this. And Lord, it just reminds me that when we go through dark times, so we don't forget the light that was been revealed to us before we went into those dark times. That we hold on to you tightly. And Lord, I pray for deliverance this morning, deliverance from someone who's dealing with a fear of the challenge they're going through, frustration. Somebody, Father, who, who may be like myself, many times I found myself in a situation where I try to do things my way, not your way, my way, to try to make the outcome happen the way I want it. And they're frustrated. They're frustrated. Lord, I pray that you would just relieve them of this frustration as they say, no, Lord God, your kingdom come, your will be done. I pray that all across, Lord God, this room, those who are online where they find themselves over in the chapel, Lord God, who are, who are watching us, that your spirit would just do the work in us of, of bringing us to this place of just laying everything before you. Maybe it's our life. Maybe it's this morning saying, Lord, Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. I receive you into my life as Lord and Savior. Thank you for dying for my sins, being resurrected for my salvation. Maybe, Father, it's someone who's just lifting up themselves, someone else, a relationship. I don't know. But whatever it is, would we trust you? This world can be crazy, but you're the foundation. You're the hope. In fact, Lord God, as we've gathered here this morning, I pray that as we scatter, that we would remember this message, this lesson from David and be able to share your hope with others who desperately need to know there is a God who's on the move, who's working in the lives of his people and that all you have to do is say yes to Jesus to be on the right train. Lord, thank you for meeting with us in such a powerful, powerful way. Thank you for what you did for us on the cross. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives even today. In Jesus' name, amen.